Oh, a jeer, an email jeer makes you wonder what you've done. Me, I say, don't maw yourself. Find a silly joke or pun. Bro, whatever they have said. Ha, it needn't hurt you so. See, you could just laugh instead. You will cheer right up, I know. The Meet for Teacast is brought to you in part by Stone Lab, a recording studio in East Hampton, Massachusetts. Offering recording, mixing, and mastering of all styles of music, we even master podcasts. Email info at sonlab.com for more information. That's info at sonelab.com. That's the record button. Have we started? We have started. So, this is the Meet for Teacast. You might always start like that. Who knows? I'm Elizabeth McDuffie, founding editor of Meat for Tea, The Valley Review, and this is... I'm Mark Allen Miller, sidekick and uh, co-conspirator in Meat for Tea. Yeah, and I'm graphic designer and web guy and um, the host of the Cirques and a whole bunch of stuff. The hats, there are many. Hello, everyone. Hello. Welcome to... Meet for Tea cast. Yes, welcome to season four, episode 13. 13, lucky number 13. Yeah, why not? I like it. I like it too. We have a super special episode, um, first in a three-part series of our Pushcart Award nominees. The Pushcart prizes allow an editor to select up to six pieces of poetry or short fiction to submit for prizes and I I say take six. Yeah, why not? I mean, boy, we got a selection to choose from, so it's kind of difficult. It to... was kind of wild reading yeah. through the last year's issues and picking pieces that I would nominate because I very quickly realized that I've outgrown having a slush pile and Everything I publish is nomination worthy. Yeah, it really is. It's, it's, it's good stuff. It's amazing. So we have, for your delectation, Charles Coe, who I nominated for his phenomenal poem, But Dialing Jesus. It's good. And Tamara Fricky, who I nominated for her poem, The Club. And they get to know each other and share their poetry and talk between themselves and I talk to them and boy if you ever want to feel like you're eavesdropping on some writers just getting together over cocktails for a chat can attest this is what it feels like so I hope you enjoy before we tuck into the episode I want to draw your attention to the fact that we are now as of yesterday in the season of Saturnalia which Mm -hmm. yeah starts on December 17th. It goes in ancient Roman tradition. It went till the 23rd and sometimes even till the 25th. And it's from this ancient Roman celebration that we get our Christmas traditions like wreaths and candles and feasting and gift giving. This is all kind of a farming related 
ritual of the winter solstice. And the Romans, actually, their winter solstice fell on uh, December 25th. Mm-hmm. So Interesting. There so you go. <laughs> during Saturnalia, work and business comes to a halt. Schools and courts of law are closed. Normal social patterns are suspended. Homes are decorated with wreaths. And people stop wearing their traditional togas and wear colorful clothes. And enslaved people, which, you know, those ancient Romans love to have, did not have to work during Septinilia and could participate in the festivities. And all the social rules were capsized. So often the slaves would be at the head of the table with their masters serving them. It's real topsy-turvy world. And every household would nominate a lord of misrule, which is <laughs> often the, the lowest of the servants. I just... Don't ask me how they established this hierarchy. It was these were not kind times. Yeah, a tradition that the ancient tradition. Romans legendarily also enjoyed during these feast days of Saturnalia involves some human sacrifice, which seems to be one that we didn't carry into our modern Christmas traditions. We just kept the No, well maybe you didn't. <laughs> Well, guess who the Lord of Misrule is this afternoon? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe I not think this they've afternoon. they've identified themselves. <laughs> maybe tomorrow. Who knows? So, you know, when yeah, you hear people surprise. screaming about the war on Christmas, um, first of all, know that they're screaming about nothing. And second of all, know that our, our traditions aren't rooted in Christianity. They're deeply rooted in antiquity and pre-Christian festival days. Yeah, I mean the, the Christmas tree is a pagan symbol for, you know. Well, that was part of the Saturnalia was yeah. greenery and wreaths and bright colored clothes and even the gift giving and I, I don't know when that human sacrifice occurred. If you want to read more about this um, history.com, we can put it in our show notes, but I think you can remember that. Yeah. There's a lot of if you just put Saturnalia into your Google search, you will find all kinds of interesting stuff and well happy Saturnalia everybody yes and happy holidays happy Hanukkah happy Christmas Kwanzaa all Kwanzaa, those fun things Krampus <laughs> and for the rest of us Festivus, Festivus. <laughs> boy oh boy so a little tiny bit of housekeeping housekeeping good lord that is the lord of misrule alright so I, I got an email from our spring store, which said, you have no new sales for the past month. So insert sad trombone. Let's side. And it's, it's sad because in our spring store, we have added aprons with our wonderful Meatini design. And there's hoodies and pint glasses and water bottles and cool socks. T-shirts and longies, or long t-shirts, I should say, not long johns, but... We need to add long johns if they make them. I don't think they do. No. Yeah. But anyway, while you're doing your holiday shopping, and it doesn't end, I mean, we celebrate Twelfth Night and exchange gifts then. Yep. Consider going to our spring store. Well, all of this can be found through meatfortea.com, where we also have our buy page where you can buy magazines, PDFs, subscriptions. There's even a donate button if you want. There is a donate button, and you can also 
join our Patreon for this podcast. Yep. The Meat for Tea cast and Meat for Tea have a Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash Meat for Tea. Also available as a link on the Meat for Tea Everything website. Everything's on the Meat for Tea About how to website. support us is on the website. And we really, really do appreciate uh, all the all the supporters that we've gotten so far. We are hoping for many more. It really helps us keep this going and helps us keep the lights on over here. So thank you all for yeah, your support. I mean, we've got anyway. some very generous Patreon supporters. Uh, Mark, Lou, I'm looking at you. Thanks so much. Uh, $6 Patreon supporters get a shout out on the podcast. So Mark, Lou, um, and then also. And special thanks to Amy. Another great supporter of the Meat for Tea cast and the Meat for Tea uh, magazine through Patreon. Amy, who has, she lives on the left coast and she has received my starter twice. She received it once and then sometimes when you move from one house to another, your sourdough starter ends up being a casualty of the move. So I happily sent her another. She's a baker and she reports it's a lively and exceptionally sweet starter. So I love that. Can attest. I think that's today's theme. Can attest. I, and Lord of Misrule. Well, the sacrifices haven't begun yet. Yet. Mm, who will it be? Mm. How will we determine? Just a roll of the dice. So shall we tuck into this episode? We should. It's a lovely long conversation that man as one of the three engaged in this conversation it went by yeah so quickly yeah it was it was really really great when i was editing it it was just like yep yep this is i mean it's like wow this is actually really long but it moves really nicely so i think you should uh, just grab a beverage or a snack or something and or both settle in and enjoy elizabeth's conversation with charles co and Tem Fricky. And happy Saturnalia. Yes. Allow me to welcome my pushcart nominees, Charles Coe and Tam Fricky. This is our first of what's going to be a three-part series of my pushcart nominees. And these are two of my six, Charles Coe for Butt Dialing Jesus and Tam Fricky for the club. So welcome, guys. I'm so thrilled to have you here. Good to be here. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, I'm, I'm honored and thrilled to have you here. And Tim, you've published in Meat for Tea a few times. You've been with us for a while, haven't you? I, I have, yes. I think this is my third or fourth time being published with you, you kind folks. Um, I have to confess, I don't remember submitting this last most recent time, <laughs> but, um, you must I was, have, <laughs> I, I, well, I was, um, in the process of trying not to die. I was in the, uh, ICU as in, in, in at that time. And so I, I came home to a very pleasant surprise. It was wonderful. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I'm sorry about that. And I, I followed some of on social media. I followed some of your wild health adventures and also <laughs> your um admirable humor you, you you just sort of morphed into or maybe maybe you've always had this inside you but um suddenly you were the most hilarious comic out there 
Yeah, um, I am, humor tends to be my stress response. Um, at one point I, in my hospital room, I had the head of the ICU, the head of the emergency department, the head of interventional radiology, and the head of cardiac surgery. And I was, I was performing a one-woman stand-up. Like, I had them in stitches. <laughs> They're like, okay, but we actually have to talk about how not to make sure you die, not die. So, you know... It, it was, yeah, that it he, dark humor. The humor comes out under the periods of time of stress. That's probably why we get along so well, because that that's one of my reactions too. And if I ever, <laughs> if I ever get around to finishing, it, I've got quite a few pages written. I was gonna, my working title for my memoir is "Here's How It's Funny." <laughs> <laughs> Good title. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's like all about a harrowing childhood and so on and so forth. I'm so glad you guys also had the chance to get to know one another prior to coming on so we can have a nice visit and no one's really strangers. That's right. We had a really, uh, we had a nice uh, chat. In fact, we could have kept yakking for quite a while, but... um... You know, Tam had to uh, get back at the at the at the plant and, and, and keep working, and, and I had some things to do too. But it was it was really fun to to talk. It was a really uh, it was a nice, relaxed way to get to know each other. Well, guess what? I want you to do now. You can keep yakking right here and now. More <laughs> yakking. More yakking. More yakking. The yakking will continue. Yes, exactly. And I'm I'm glad that you are left wanting more because that's exactly what I'm hoping you'll do tonight. So imagine we're all sitting around a table at a restaurant with some drinks and dinner, and we're just enjoying each other's company. So Elizabeth, what's your drink of choice? Well, I do like a Negroni. Spagliato. You know, I'm I haven't done spagliatos. I'm I usually just a straight up Negroni or um an Aperol spritz. Nice. If I don't but you know, with with drinks like that, my my um limit is two of those. They're they're pretty strong. What I have next to me right now is a little rose with a whole lot of berry seltzer on top of it. And that's my <laughs> my normal tipple. It's low alcohol and it's it's enough to feel like I'm having a beverage, but it's not gonna not gonna make things go sideways. Well that's that sounds refreshing. I made some um I made some uh limoncello this oh, fantastic. And you pour you put a bunch of ice in a glass and you pour a bit of limoncello over that and then fill the glass with uh, fizzy water. That's that's pretty refreshing stuff. That sounds fabulous. That sounds delicious. Did you use Everclear to make your limoncello or just vodka? I did. I, I use Everclear because vodka's um, not, it doesn't have enough alcohol in it. To pull really pull the uh, esters out of the lemons, I use Meyer lemons, uh, which are this. It was it was just good stuff. I've still got a little bit of it, so um, I'm I'm saving it for some friends who are coming over for some Christmas festivities, and we'll you know we'll get a little jolly with that. That sounds wonderful. I'm, I'm feeling guilty. A very good friend of mine actually gave me 
a liquor diffuser. It's got like the little um, strainer inside of the glass bottle. So it would be a very easy thing to make, well, limoncello, for instance, in. I haven't made anything in it forever. In the summer, I was doing things with just different berries and herbs together, like basil and like strawberry vodka. Mm, yum. Yeah. Yeah. It, it allows one to get pretty creative. No kidding. I'm, I'm usually uh, pretty simple. I'm simple in my drinking habits. Uh, <laughs> I'm a beer guy and a bourbon guy. That's that's generally what I do. You would like a Boulevardier, which is kind of like a Negroni, but instead of the Negroni is one part Campari, one part Italian vermouth, one part gin. For a Boulevardier, you swap out bourbon for the gin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was with some folks when I, I was teaching... Uh, at um, at uh, my low residency MFA program in in Newport, and after one day of lectures and talks and and workshops, the the teachers are sitting around, and we've got our your, our our feet up on the table, and somebody's mm-hmm. making the gronies, but he he made them with uh, agave tequila instead of uh, gin. Ooh, wow! How was that? Was it tasty? They were really good. That sounds amazing. They're really good. And he, he made it with the good stuff, you know, the kind of tequila that, that's good just to sip, like a, a, a really high-quality scotch. Right. This wasn't any Cuervo gold, I take it. <laughs> no. Like, <laughs> you remember back in college days, you sit around with a bottle of Cuervo gold and the, the oh. lime to the salt, and you choke that stuff down. Oh, yes. No, never again. No. <laughs> right? God. Oh, no, no, God. No. no. Yeah, I can recall the hangovers. Oh, the hangovers. You'd wake up with a level two hangover. Definitely. A level one hangover is when you're afraid you're going to die, and a level two is when you're afraid you won't. <laughs> Please, <I'm>... Lord. <laughs> Take me now. Yes. Oh. Well, my goodness, I'm quite the teetotaler compared to you. I'm sitting here with a pot of Earl Grey tea. Yum. All right. Um, Due to all of my medical adventures, I had to uh, give up the drinking this year. So um, I'm very sad because I would give my left arm for a a nice, dry Cabernet Sauvignon at the moment. Uh, Sigh. I hear you. Yeah, I feel that. But still, I'm I'm glad we get to keep you with us. (laughs) Yeah, I'm kind of glad to be sticking around, too. Yeah, that's the priority. How are you doing now? Uh, So things are uh, starting to clear up. Um, I I just got taken off of the blood thinners, which is a, a major step in the right direction. So... Hopefully sometime next year, I'll, I'll be back to my normal cantankerous self. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we want to keep you around. You have to write more poetry in addition <laughs> to other activities. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And you're actually pretty prolific. You're both prolific writers. That's an insult. I won't sit here and be insulted. Uh, no. <laughs> Hey, man, you're pretty prolific. Hey, what you talking about? Step over that line. 
Okay, now step over that one. Hey, you're really good at stepping over lines, aren't you? No, <laughs> I, I, I write a lot, and and Tam, obviously, you you uh, write a lot as well, and it's it's a it's an affliction we cannot overcome. Absolutely. You know, that was something we were talking about yesterday is that, you know, sometimes a word or a phrase just smacks you upside the head. And sometimes in the thing, the piece just falls out. And uh, the club in particular was something I wrote in an hour flat. Like there was some tinkering and, and some fine tuning with it a, a little bit afterwards, but the bulk of that lift was done in a one hour time because something clicked and it just fell onto the page. I love that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you feel almost like you're a secretary mm-hmm. uh, rather than someone who is making the thing. And that, that doesn't happen all the time. I think people who don't write think it happens a lot more often than it does. But it it, it doesn't happen a lot. It's great when it does. Yeah, and that's my favorite. I think it's everyone's favorite writing experience. But I don't know, do you guys think if you if you write regularly, do you think there's something to priming the pump? I do. I think if you, if you just write even a little bit every day, those those flashes of a poem that comes to you like Athena from Zeus's head, like pretty much fully formed, that they're more likely to happen than if you just wait for those flashes to come out of the blue and only write when they do. I wholeheartedly agree with that. I mean, there was a, a period of time where I was... I I had a a group of people and we were writing on a daily basis and responding to different things that each other was saying and different prompts that we would throw at each other. And, you know, I think in that two-year time span, I turned out 200 poems. Wow. Are all of them good? Not necessarily, but, you know, it, it became easier and, and, quicker to become inspired. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I, I think definitely keeping those muscles going and working has its advantages. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, so there's always something to think about. There's always something to write about. You know, it, sometimes I'll tell my, my writing students that you, it, the only time you're productive. It's not just when you're sitting at your your computer or, or, or writing on a pad or whatever. You're always processing the world in different ways. You're looking at stuff. You're listening to conversations. Um, you have little snatches of ideas from other pieces. Excuse me, that you might might want to use. So you go back to something that you wrote before that that wasn't quite working and you want to tinker with it. So there's always something to do. Or write an email, you know. Yeah. I don't know. I, I was thinking about, do you guys, are you familiar with Peter Albo? Uh, no, who is that? No. No, he's, he's kind of fellow, kind of famous in um, composition rhetoric circles. So <laughs> kind of... Um, he, he would have been my dissertation chair at UMass if I didn't go rogue and start a literary journal instead of finishing a PhD. He's the fellow who coined the phrase free writing. But anyway, when he described the whole writing process, and I guess he's the first of the process gu- gurus too, he referred to something which sounds like what you're talking about, Charles, called the cooking phase. 
And he deemed that to be as important as composing or drafting or editing and cooking is when you're not writing at all. It's just simmering on in the back burner of your brain and things are happening to it while it's simmering there. Absolutely. I, I, I refer to that as marinating. Sometimes I do. Yeah, yeah, that's apt. Yep. A lot of times what I find is if if I get to that point where something isn't just kind of falling onto the page, I'll throw down as many of the ideas and the thoughts that I had around that, and I'll ultimately end up going back and cannibalizing it into something else. I mm. love that verb choice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cannibalizing. Well, it you know, I mean, I when I sat down to write that idea, like I would, I thought it was definitely going to go in one direction, and it just it didn't it it didn't flow. It just kept hitting the brick wall, and so usually, if I just I keep a working document, and I I do them for each year. So when I get struck with inspiration, or maybe I don't have time to sit and write something, I throw the notes into this working document and it's in a Google doc. So it's, uh, I can get to it from my computer or from my phone or from my iPad or whatever. And I can just, I can just, you know, vomit onto the page and then later go back and then go, Oh no, this line was really the gem and pull that out and start playing with that and build something from there. Oh yeah. That's uh, yeah. I like that, that description of, of the process. Yeah. Sometimes it's, it's, uh, I give myself pres- permission to write something that's not very good. Mm-hmm. I tell my students that one way to give yourself constipation is to try to have every line or every word perfect before you move on to the next one. Oh, yeah. Just get it out. You know, you got to have something to work with. Uh, one time I was working on a poem that I, I I was doing something I don't usually do. I was I had this fixed idea and I was trying to. I think I was trying to force it, and I looked at it, and it really, it sucked. It was terrible. It was so bad, I couldn't even fix it. So I just ignored it, you know, for a few months, and then I came back, and I realized that the only thing that worked was the title. (laughs) (laughs) And and the the, the idea, the, the, the generative feeling that made me want to write this poem. So I kept the title and took a completely different approach to it, and I really liked what came out, but... um, you know, the other stuff was just finger exercises. I had to do that to get to what I really wanted. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what you said about like giving yourself permission to write something really bad kind of reminds me of um, Annie Lamott's shitty first drafts. <laughs> <laughs> from I think that was an essay from Bird by Bird, and it's frequently assigned to writing students. So I'd be surprised if... You haven't used it. It's an old yes. chestnut, but it's 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 so good. It's just sit down, sit down and write garbage. Write garbage on purpose. See see what that gets you. And sometimes in the garbage, there's a nugget, like you were saying, Tam. There, there's yep. oh yeah, there's that. Oh, that's a great image, or that's a great line, and that winds up being the little piece of sand you put in the the uh, the oyster shell. Absolutely. Yeah, I I use that method even when I'm writing grants, and so you know you have in a grant situation you have very specific questions that you have to respond to and my first step is to just look at the questions and just do a mind dump 
oh, wow. for each of those questions. And then I go back afterwards because now I have something on the page. And, mm-hmm. and then I can go back and I can edit and I can build and I can cite my sources and do whatever. But, you know, just getting something on the page and just doing that first dump of info or information it for me is hugely helpful in any writing process, whether it's technical, whether it's business, whether it's poetry. Mm, yep, agreed. Mm-hmm. Well said. Bon dit, madame, bon dit. Merci beaucoup. <laughs> <laughs> All this Frenchy French. Yeah, that's about the that's about the extent of my French. Uh, <laughs> I I speak enough Spanish to get into trouble, but not enough to get out. Uh, yeah, my my Spanish. I, I lived in San Diego for um, my late adolescence, early 20s. And it was a survival skill to have um, been able to conjugate chinga pretty fluently. (laughs) I I speak enough Spanish and French to get in some real trouble, but um, that's about it. The better part is that I understand even more. So I I always know when somebody's talking about me. Uh Uh-huh. That's handy. Have you seen any any of those uh, little stories on on uh, social media about someone being in a situation where there were people talking about them who didn't think they understood the language? Yes. <laughs> yes. And then they, they dropped some casual bomb on them at the end of this long uh, thing to let them know that they understood every word that was being said. Yes. Uh, Yeah, I had that happen a couple of times while I was bartending there um, where people thought that they were safe speaking Spanish and they were saying some pretty interesting things. And uh, one time a guy, two guys were telling a joke and they thought it was like a little dirty because when I started to laugh, they were like, oh, my God, you weren't supposed to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) Oops, busted. Yeah. (laughs) So, Charles, that that poem you wrote that you had to ignore and you only kept the title and then ended up being reworked into something good. Do you happen to have that handy at all? Uh, Yeah, I I can grab that. If you give me one minute, I can go grab that. I'd love to hear it. It just feels like that, that could fit right here. Okay, I'll be right back. Yay. And while we're waiting for Charles to get back, Tam, we're supposed to do a chat book with you, and we so dropped that ball. I know. I we're, know. Well, listen. We can I, still revisit that notion. Uh, I would love to revisit that notion. I've got 400 poems sitting here doing absolutely nothing. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, that's yeah. A, that's a tome. Yeah, no, I, I literally have uh, over 200 pages of, of stuff. So... Uh, I I ended up self-publishing a little book, uh, a little chat book, the end of last year and oh, kind of a fever cool. dream. Um, I, I was, I, I was just, I can't say that I was bored. I was going through cancer treatment and I just, I think I was a little restless and whatever. So I, I grabbed some poems and I put them together and I, I pushed it out, but I didn't really, I haven't ever like published it or not published it. I haven't promoted it in any way, but I, I've still got plenty of other stuff going. So <laughs> wow. you want to promote it right now before Charles reads his poem. Tell oh, us about ab- this book. Oh, absolutely. Um, I have this lovely uh, little chat book called Exit Means Eden. Um, it was published the end of last year. 
And it's available on Amazon. Nice. Going to look for that. Oh, I will send you a copy. If you send me your email address, I will send you a copy. Or not your email address, your physical address. I was going to say, is this a PDF or... (laughs) Oh, no. Sorry. No, I deal so much with PDFs. But no, I have a hard copy. I would be more than happy to send you a hard copy. Oh, I'd be thrilled to add it to my... I've got most of a bookshelf that's full of books that contributors have sent me. Uh, I would be happy to add to your library. Yay. We'll make a, we'll, we can make a deal, Tam. If, uh, if you send me uh, that, I'll send you one of mine. I'll send oh, you mine. sold. Email me your address. Okay, we'll do. We'll do. How fantastic. And just like that, all of our libraries grew by a little bit. There you yeah, go. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. I feel like I'm referencing the Grinch and his heart grew two sizes bigger, but <laughs> our libraries grew two books bigger. <laughs> yes. You're the mean one, Mr. Oh. Grinch. Listen wow. to that baritone. Oh, my God. It's pretty amazing. Speaking of great baritones, why don't you utilize it and read us that poem, Charles? Oh, okay. Uh, so <laughs> the, the title is DNA. Nice. Uh, and I had, my goal was to write this poem that artfully used all the scientific, all the technical terms of biology and, and genetics and chemistry uh, and wrestle them into this poem. And it, it, it was terrible. I mean, it was, it was probably the worst thing that I had ever written. And I didn't get all the way through it. I just looked at it and said, this is, you know, DOA. So I just forgot about it for some months. And then I, I bought it out again and realized that uh, the only thing I could really say was the title. And so this uh, this is DNA, the first poem in my second collection, All Sins Forgiven, Poems for My Parents. Great title. Thank you. DNA. The young woman on the bus wearing headphones has a mole on her neck. Perhaps the same mole in the same place on some ancient ancestor itched with sweat as she crawled on hands and knees through the king's garden, back bent, pulling weeds. I know someone whose husband died a month after their baby's birth. Years later, she had to turn away when her teenaged son brushed the hair from his girlfriend's face with exactly the same gesture as the father he had never known. Some mysteries are greater than the birth of stars. That sound you hear the moment before sleep is not the wind, but your own flesh in a timeless, whispered conversation with itself. Wow. That was awesome. I have a Band-Aid on my thumb because I sliced it cutting crusty bread last night, so my poetry slam snaps are not what they should be. Band-Aid really messes up a finger snap pretty well. Yeah, well, it's the thought that counts. I'm sorry for your injury. Thank you. (laughs) Well, I was just fixing to say that... um, you, the the idea of writing a poem about the science and the chemistry, it was just it was just there was no meat in it, there was no spirit in it. It was just finger exercises that I was trying to be clever and pull off. But when I threw all that away, then I then I found the poem. I'll say you did. That's a, it's a stunning piece of work. 
Thank you. Tam, you were talking about your book. Do you want to treat us to something from your the book you released last year? Please do. Oh, sure. Excited to hear it. They're all good. Yeah. Well, so, you know, it's funny that, that you were talking about the science and the chemistry. I write about I, I write about science quite a bit in in uh, my pieces. That that, that is a, a very recurring theme. Carl Sagan comes up a lot for me too, but um that has absolutely nothing to do with I think the piece that I'd like to read. You know, speaking of Carl Sagan, the very first issue of Meat for Tea, the gristle issue was our inaugural issue that we released. <laughs> it will be 17 years ago this March. One of our writers in that issue was Dorian Sagan, son of Carl. Really? Yep. Hmm. Cool. He he was in a few early issues. You can find them. Maybe I should put those in the show notes. I think that very first issue is very difficult to find. Okay. Well, I can read one with a bad word in it, or I can read one without a bad word in it. Oh, I forgot to tell you. You can you can cuss like a longshoreman on this podcast. Oh, fantastic! Because all, I use- all the cusses, all all the multisyllabic cusses you can think of. There's only one word, which happens to be a name, which we consistently bleep out, and that's the name of that orange forty um, fifth president guy. Right on. Right on. The the treason the treason dude. Yeah, but you can say motherfucker, you can say anything else you want. It's absolutely fine. We just bleep that one out. Fantastic. I call him pumpkin spice on social media. <laughs> I love it. Stephen Colbert always comes up with great new nicknames for him all the time. Yes. All right. Well, so I'll read the one with the swear words in it then. And Thank it's you. called the sum of all parts. I carry the DNA of every man I've ever fucked like shards of glass embedded in my heels. Jeans shred, tendons, bones, teeth disintegrating my shadow in the heat of complicity because I couldn't stand being alone. The DNA of every word I've ever licked off of every cut-rate page, stalls and screens crash through neural networks with the force of atomic bombs tattooing my skin in precise fluidic form. Expansion, contraction, recombination, shift molecular dynamics, creating a constant state of flux. Do I need to tell you I am not who you knew 20 minutes ago? I have absorbed your eyes, your telltale smiles, and cocooned in your voice. I've consumed so much DNA, you can actively watch me evolve, morphing from sloth to corporate pirate in one sweeping and expansive breath. In the end, I won't die so much as explode like a mushroom, spores sweeping about the wind, desperate for new fertility, ready to begin again. Wow. What a great pairing those two pieces (laughs) made. No kidding. Wow. That was like perfectly paired. No kidding. Fantastic. <laughs> that does better than toast and butter. <laughs> <laughs> That's an amazing poem. Oh, thank you. I wrote that because there was some dumbass senator who earnestly believed that women 
uh, uh, consumed and were changed by the DNA of the men whom they have sex with. Yes, I remember that um, yes. douche canoe. Y- thank you. Yes. So I heard that, and that that was another one that just fell out. I was like, really? <laughs> wow. Does my memory serve me correctly, or did you not read that one when you were the featured reader at Unbuttoned? I probably did, yes. Because we were at a, well, not that we haven't been at a phase in our political landscape, but we're at a, we were at a phase where there's a lot to be incredibly pissed off about. And I just remember you brought a lot of righteous ire <laughs> to your reading, which I deeply appreciated. <laughs> yeah, yes, that, that very much sounds like me, yes. <laughs> I think it was after that feature that I walked up to you and said, I want to do your chat book. <laughs> I think it was, yeah. And then nothing happened. <laughs> well, you know, the, then there was the pandemic and, you know. Uh, well, we had a house fire, you know. Right. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Actually, on um, May 9th, 2020, so early in the pandemic, there's a oh, house Lord. fire and we had to live remotely for six months during the pandemic when it's like a really, really great time not to be at home. That's what we were doing. So that was good Lord. That will disrupt some publishing plans. Absolutely. We kept meat for tea going. We had to do a double issue from our Airbnb instead of two separate issues, but we kept it going. That's impressive. That, that whole time, you know, you, you look back on it, and, and it's, it's, it's like a time that didn't exist. It's all a blur to me. I try to think back on what I was doing and what, what a day was like, and, and how, and, and it's it's just, it's it's like my head is filled with, with oatmeal and, and, and cream corn trying to think of it. It's, <laughs> it's all a blur. Yeah. We were all very busy. I was teaching, I was writing, I was... Uh, doing my work, uh, but it was all staring at my screen. I, I just picture that famous, um, I think it's called Persistence of Memory, the Dolly painting with the mm-hmm. melty melting clocks, clocks draped over the tree branch. Yeah, that's my visual for that time of the pandemic for how time felt. I will never think of it as anything other than that for the rest of my life. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's good. That's the perfect image. That's the perfect image. I think it might I work. Haven't quite, I haven't quite left that phase of my life yet. Like, I, uh, every time somebody asks me about something, I'm like, time is a complete meaningless construct. I, I have no, it could have been last week. It could have been four years ago. I have absolutely no idea. Yeah, I hear you. We are going to be... Cut off in two minutes and 17 seconds, just to let you know, and I'll have to have Mark restart. It's um, shocking how fast these things go. It's true. Right? When he said we'll have to restart at least once and possibly twice more to get through our conversation, it probably sounded like an interminably long time. But these conversations, there's, there's just so much ground to cover. So true. This is fun. It's meant to be. I have a theory that people like to listen to other people enjoying themselves, not torturously trying to think of things to say. Right. 
All right, let me think of this portentous and important question to ask, since I'm the interviewer, and I must ask a portentous and important question, oh which shows how much I know. God. I like the interviewers who, their questions, like when you go to a lecture and somebody asks a question, but it's not a question, they're giving a little mini lecture. They're just showing off their smarts. Yeah, I, when I'm moderating an event, uh, I don't have any compunction at all about saying, sorry to interrupt, but is there a question there? Good for you. I applaud that choice. Yeah, uh, this 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 less than a minute is probably going to be cut out anyway. I actually don't interview. You're probably noticing that. I just like to get... Yeah, you converse. Exactly. I just want us all to chat and read works where it makes sense in the conversation and keep chatting and amuse each other, and that's the whole goal. Absolutely. And, and um, you know, we're having fun. Just like... Uh, Tim and I had fun when we were yakking yesterday. I'm so glad. I, I, because I, I felt like, is this going to be awkward just assigning them to get to know each other? But <laughs> I thought it would make this so much better if you already had forged a connection. Yeah, and had a chance to look each other at each other's work, which is, I think, an important thing in a conversation like this. And now be- you've got like a mutual admiration society. Big there time. you go. Big time. <laughs> We should have a club, you know, we should have little uniforms and... (laughs) (laughs) We used to use Zencaster to record these and we we hope to again. Um, We're relegated to Zoom, which has these enforced pauses every 40 minutes, unless you want to give them money because my laptop is old enough that Zencaster doesn't want to work on it. Uh, Even though it's it's like, how old is my laptop? Eight years, but I guess in the world of laptops, that's ancient because nothing's yes. supposed to last. Yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> I mean, the machine might work still, but but they design everything so that that you cannot use older versions of software on the newer version. Exactly, your <laughs> OS is out of date. Blah blah blah. Ridiculous. Well, I, I have the, I pay them so I, because I need to use Zoom for my workshops, like for, you know, two hours or more. So uh, I, I got to give, a, I got to give up a little cash, but it's, it's, it's definitely worth it to me. It depends on what, what you need to do and what your situation is. Exactly. Well, we, we had Zencaster and it worked fine on my husband's newer laptop, which got bricked about a month ago. Bricked? Yeah, bricked literally means turning your machine into something as functional as a brick. (laughs) Yeah, I haven't heard that. That's good. Yeah, when he told me his machine was bricked, they just just did a, um, why am I forgetting the word? Like uh, an update, right? They they just did updates and it bricked his machine. You know, they just did, uh, and there it was. So, and it's still with his friend who's managed to get the data off it. But anyway, um, no Zencaster for now. And we'll edit all this not so fascinating narrative about tech woes out of this. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, just let us know when when it's going to be available. And I'll, uh, we hope to be dropping it actually this weekend. So. Oh, great. We should drop it by Sunday or Monday, probably, because we can't drop it next weekend. Oh, yeah. Right. That'd be Christmas. 
Speaking of Christmas, did that creep up on anyone? Was was it like? <laughs> yes. Okay, good. I mean, not good, but I'm glad I'm not the only one because honestly, I just remember getting a few gifts and starting doing a few things before Thanksgiving and thinking I was really on the ball and really ahead of things. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh shit. Yeah. Every year. Yeah. I'll tell you who I despise. I despise those people who sit at their kitchen table um, Saturday or Sunday morning of Thanksgiving weekend and write all their Christmas cards and get them in the mail Monday morning. <laughs> I, hate, I, hate, I hate those people. Those fact, fuckers. <laughs> I think that they people like that probably if you dig up if you crack through the concrete in their basement, they probably got bodies buried under their the concrete in their basement. Probably. It's like the people at your job who always have perfectly clean desks. There's never anything on the desk except <laughs> the, the one little thing they happen to be writing on. I'm afraid of those people. When I when I was at UMass, I was lucky enough to have my assistantship was doing the doctorate and shared an office with some colleagues. And some of them were utterly mystified in how I could, like, if a student asked for something, I could just, like, go to my desk, which was just this pile that made no sense to anyone, just looked like this complete heap of disaster, and <laughs> retrieve the paper, like, in a second. Be like, oh, here you are. And I remember colleagues saying, how did you do that? Like, I know my mess. It's my mess. I know. Yeah. I worked with a guy like that. And, and his, you know, his his desk looked like um, a paper Mount Everest. And he would just yep. go right in. He would plunge his arm into that pile up to the elbow. And he'd pull out the thing you needed. Yep. That's pretty much, that was my M.O., and anytime I cleaned it and made it organized, then for weeks after I couldn't find anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is Tam with this? Tam, are you here? I'm, oh, I'm here. I'm here. Um, no, I, I too prefer an organized chaos. I, I, I can control my chaos, uh, <laughs> which completely baffles my coworkers because uh, I am the first person in the last 15 years to submit a grant early. Um, and yet I work in such chaos at times. They're like, how do, how do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> but it's not really chaos. It just looks like chaos to the, to the unschooled observer. Exactly. There you go. It's like, dude, I've got a stochastic filing system and it works perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> I love that word. <laughs> it's so perfect. So I'm wondering if we should hear from each of you, the poems that compelled me to nominate you for pushcarts. And I, I hope you hear back from them. I I always feel like when I send these nominations out, like I'm just like mailing something into a void. <laughs> but, well, yeah, but you know, you can't worry about that. I I, I did it. I did the thing. So now yeah. we'll see. We'll see what comes of the thing. Well, you know, I, I think about stuff like this. Uh, Wayne Gretzky, you know, the hockey player? Oh, yes. One of the uh, great 20th century philosophers. Um, he said, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Yep. Oh, that's so good. And that's absolutely true. 
I used to live uh, not far from the LA Forum. And at the time, in the early 80s, they would sell uh, student tickets for $5 a pop. So I got to see the dream team of uh, the LA Kings with Gretzky and Robitaille and um, all of them playing. Thomas Sandstrom was my favorite. But I got to see them for five bucks. Like, we would go, like, every other week. It was amazing. Wow. That's amazing. That is amazing. Right. He, he... Somebody said that he would he would send the puck not to where somebody was, but to where they were going to be. Yes, he he kind of saw the future. He was he was amazing, absolutely amazing. He he processed space and and possibility the same way Larry Bird did. Yeah, I can see that. Now I got to write a poem about Wayne Gretzky. Damn it. <laughs> so cool. I actually have a um, hockey playing granddaughter. Nice. My eleven-year-old oh, cool. da- granddaughter Ramona, who who prefers to go by Momo, <laughs> is a, a forward, and she's according to her dad, at least, who might be a little biased, but the way he tells it, she's an MVP player, and her team goes. They live in Seattle. They go to Canada and play all the time. Oh, that's cool. I'm hockey deprived because I grew up in Indiana and basketball is the state religion there. Um, uh, Hockey is very, very popular in other parts of the Midwest, hugely popular, just not in in Indiana. So uh, I never bonded with it. But um, when I was writing for Northeastern publication some years ago, the guy who wrote about sports invited me to a game, Northeastern game. And we sat down close, and it was amazing. I don't think hockey really translates that well onto television if you've never seen the game in in person and up close. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I mean, I I love my granddaughter very much, and I'm very proud of her athletic prowess and that she loves the sport. Um, fun fact about me, I, I, I don't give any kind of a shit about any kind of sports. horrors horrors i just can't i absolutely can't get into them and an artist friend of mine summed up my feelings about sports very succinctly by saying they won they lost they won again and that's (laughs) that's what it is for me well you know what jerry seinfeld said you're rooting for laundry oh my god (laughs) That's so true. No, I just can't. I think I have a thing with um, visual fatigue, too, because whether it's watching sports, especially like televised, because I got invited to Super Bowl parties and went to those, and I was always the one who would fall asleep. (laughs) And I do the same thing with war movies. It's something about a whole bunch of people all wearing the same thing that puts me to sleep. I just can't do uniforms. (laughs) <laughs> no, I hear you. Although uh, about a month ago, I watched the remake of All Quiet on the Western Front. Oh, how it was it? Came, it was unbelievable. It wow. was It was intense. It was brilliant. Uh, it, the cinematography was, was just breathtaking, just for one thing. And I don't mean just, you know, stuff blowing up, but just the visual sensibility was, was uh, outstanding. It was... It was an extraordinary movie, very disturbing, 
Mm-hmm. Um, so don't watch it if 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 uh, a very explicit movie about war would upset you. But I thought it was a brilliant film. Lots of uniforms, though, right? Lots of uniforms. Yeah, See, yeah. I would just I would fall asleep. They do something. Gotcha. T- I, I it's it's so it's the visual repetition. Something happens. Interesting. That is interesting. It's weird. No, and I acknowledge that Kubrick's Doctor Strangelove is probably a brilliant film, but I also can't stay awake through that. I've never made it 25 minutes in. I'm immediately asleep. Very interesting. I know. I should put it on like if I ever wake up with insomnia, just tune into Doctor Strangelove and fall asleep instantly. <laughs> that, that's. A, I wonder what the if there's some name for that particular... Disability. Uh, no, 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 no. Way of processing information. Visual uh, repetition does not yeah, work for okay. me. Yeah, okay, all right. Uh, it's like weird. I, I have a friend, and I forget the term, she doesn't recognize faces. Oh, I listened to a whole podcast about that just the other day. And I, you think I would have the term at my fingertips because I listened to that just the other day, but I do not. It's a very interesting phenomenon, and it affects people's lives in in many different ways. Yeah. Do you know um, Stuff You Should Know? Do you know that podcast? It's really great. Uh, You know, I'm going to make a confession. I have never listened to a podcast. Uh, My house would be a lot messier if I didn't, because I find the whole process of cleaning so dull. I need to trick (laughs) myself into thinking that I'm being entertained. Oh, that's good. That works. It works works for me. (laughs) Yeah. I found the name for the the disorder we're not recognizing did. faces, but I'm not even I'm not even going to begin to try and pronounce this. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah, I, I do remember it having some some name that struck me as a, a Greek derivation. Yeah, it pros pro so no nausea <laughs> something like that. That's that's as right. far as I can get. That's a rough one. I don't have that. The opposite of that. I recognize students that I taught like 20 years ago. Wow. Name, face, and everything. But boy, you put a bunch of people in uniforms and make them run around on a TV screen, and I'm, <laughs> I'm asleep. So what it's, about the Rockettes? Do you fall asleep when the Rockettes are performing? Never, never, <laughs> never gone to Radio City Music Hall to see that. I have a friend who played cello in the pit orchestra. That's uh, cool. It, well, it sounds cool, but uh, it was grueling. After three years, you know, the thought of going to Radio City Music Hall once more to play for the Rockettes once more. Uh, um, at a certain point, you know, she she was probably longing for the sweet release of death. Um, but uh, that's how she bought her house and put her kid through college. Well, good for her. I wonder if sweet relief, release of death is a good segue to butt dialing Jesus. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Could it possibly be? <laughs> yeah, let, let's do that. Well, okay. uh, I, was, I was telling Tim when we spoke yesterday that I was washing dishes and that, that title popped into my head and I, and I, you know, I was amused and I sat down to write I love this poem that I thought was kind of jokey, but uh, as you, you'll hear it kind of took a little turn on me. I'm so but, honored that it's in Meat for Tea. Well, I'm so honored that you uh, you nominated our work for the push card. So uh, many thanks to you. So I'll read this poem. This is 
but dialing Jesus. There was a time when voices emanating from my pants would have caused concern. But now I simply shrugged and pulled out my phone to hear a recording. You have reached the Son of God. I am currently speaking with another supplicant, but please hold. Your salvation is important to me. This was followed by music. I expected celestial choirs or maybe an elevator-friendly version of My Sweet Lord, but was instead treated to acoustic Delta Blues guitar, interrupted after only a few minutes by the voice of himself, greeting me by name and asking how he could serve. I was startled. Didn't expect to actually get through. Um, what's the one true religion, I asked, flustered just to have something to say. All of them, he replied. None of them. I was taken aback. What? That's it? That's it, he said. Follow the golden rule. Leave the campground cleaner than you found it. Look, anything else? I have a lot of people on hold. <laughs> I had nothing and mumbled my thanks. He said, go in peace and broke the connection. I put down the phone and stared out the window. The guy across the street was clearing snow off his sidewalk. Never really liked that dude. But I grabbed my shovel to go lend a hand. Mm. Love it so much. So good. Thank you. See what I mean when I say it kind of took a turn on me at the end? I, I love that. And that so the way you the way you ended up surprised you as the writer. Yes. I love that so much. I think I think that's the best part about writing. And I've never really understood people who use a strict outline and know exactly where they're going to end up because I think that just takes all the joy out of it. Agreed. And it, and it looks like I had a, a manager one time when I was working in a, in a university publication shop. She would write her lead. She would write her clothes. She would write her three bullet points. And then she would sculpt this clay, this flesh onto this skeleton. And once you finished, that's what it looked like. And she was always mad at me because she wanted to see my lead and clothes and, and bullet points. And I said, that's not, I, <laughs> They that's don't not exist. <laughs> no. I'm going to start the thing, and then I'm going to... I mean, it's not like I didn't have any idea what I was going to write, but, you know, you, you, you sort of have to see what shows up in a way. Yeah, there's, there's something so fun about just the discovery. I was telling Charles, a friend of mine used to say that poetry was like a, a sexy stranger driving up in a sports car and screaming, <laughs> yeah. get in, and you either jump in and enjoy the ride or you That's walk great, away. so much. That's a great image. I'm gonna I'm gonna always remember that. That sexy stranger in the car. Yeah, that's so great. It's like, nope, I'm on this straight and narrow path I'm taking right here. Never mind. <laughs> right. And this this poem in a way, well, not in a way. Uh my my next book that this poem is in is is called Purgatory Road. Um uh, comes out at the end of March. I'm excited for that. Well, thank you. I'll make sure you get a copy. I'm Both excited you. for that. <laughs> <Both of you. laughs> 
I love the the title. Oh my god! Purgatory it should be Road an album. Fantastic. It really should be. It should be a Dylan album or, or Delta Blues. Blues. Delta Blues. Yeah. Well, I I, I teach at the um, MFA writing program, the Low Res program, uh, at Salva Regina in, in, in Newport, and. Um, when I was driving down for the first time about five years ago, that's how long the program's been around, right before you get to the Newport town line in, in Middletown, the town right before, there was a street sign for this beach road off to the to the left called Purgatory Road. And I said, Purgatory Road? How can that possibly be the name for a road? That's the best thing ever. See, I was raised Roman Catholic. I was raised Irish Catholic, actually. Me too. Uh, oh, oh, there you go. So you know about <laughs> purgatory. I do. And limbo. And limbo, yes. All the layers. All the layers. That that ugly Catholic cake. Yeah. And um, so in, in Purgatory, I wrote in the poem, I talk about how, um, how the nuns would tell us that, uh, about eternity, you know, uh, and one nun described eternity as, she said, imagine a solid brass globe the size of the earth. And once every thousand years, a bird, a dove flies by and flicks the globe with just the tip of a wing. Every thousand years, one flick, the time it would take that process to wear that brass globe the size of the earth to nothing is the first second of eternity. Oh, my God. Yeah, that, that's deep. Wow. She had an imagination, that that sister. Well, this is something that they used to tell the kids. It wasn't just her. I mean, it was it was kind of a standard rap. You know, that and the Baltimore Catechism, and uh, I was an altar boy and all that good stuff. Although I got to say uh, that, that the nuns and priests, nobody ever touched any of us. Nobody ever messed with any of us. I'm glad to hear that. I know a lot of people have obviously horrible experiences, has had has had horrible experiences, but um, uh, no, no, not where I was. And they, you know, they were, it was all Irish Catholic nuns and priests and all black kids in Indianapolis. St. Bridget's parochial school, eight years, nuns and priests. Oh, wow. Yeah. See little uniforms. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I always thought uniforms for elementary and secondary school are actually, they, they make a lot of sense and I think they're kinder than not because they eliminate a lot of social class distinctions. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Then that was the purpose of them. I, I think it's very kind. Yeah, I do too. I do too. Although it's it's an idea whose time has passed. It's, it's very difficult to get kids and parents to conform in that particular way now. You know, because nobody wants to, nobody wants to be constrained by by certain kinds of restrictions anymore. But yeah, there's that overwhelming desire you see all the time to conform to something. So it's weird. Yeah, be different like everybody else. Uh, exactly. <laughs> yes. No, it's it's a real conundrum because we we rebel against that, but still there's this very distinct like uniform that different groups of people all have. Yeah, and if you look at cultures where there's more um, uh, explicit 
direction about what you have to wear. I mean, look at what's going on with the women in Iran now. That's just oh my god! I'm so proud of they're they're so bold though. Yeah, they are not going to take this. They're risking their lives. They're 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 fed up. And there have been a couple of people. They had an execution in Iran. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a man who was executed. But uh, but but the things that that, that women have undergone uh, in that culture. I mean, they they just um, disbanded the the uh, the religious police in Iran. They did not. That that was a misnomer. That oh really? The the New York Times screwed up in posting that, and they refused to acknowledge the fact that oh um, that that was wrong. And that has not actually happened, and they refused to print a retraction. But it did not happen. They are still murdering people left and oh, right. Man, I'm. Uh, that's uh, terrible news. That's terrible news. Yeah, wasn't that just a few days ago? Or was it because there, there's a whole like boycott New York Times? Oh yeah, that's that's a workers' issue. There, oh, that's right. Don't cross the picket line. Don't. Yeah, no, it's yep. it's uh, contract negotiations, and they're they're you know raking in more money than they have in the last ten years, and they're t- talking about layoffs, and it, it's it's a mess. But yeah, th- that happened at the same time, right? Right. Uh, they overlapped, right? Yep. Absolutely. I thought so. Yeah, uh, I skipped the. I didn't cross the picket line that day. I skipped the daily. I didn't use my New York Times cooking app. I didn't, I just I had nothing to you do with it. You didn't play Wordle. You that know what? Else. You didn't play Wordle. That's I've never played game. Wordle. I've, not, I've never played it either. A not lot of one time. Play. Not once. You know, well, you know, some people, uh, I, I don't judge other people's pleasures. I've got, got silly ones. I like to watch sports on television. And some people consider that the emperor of time wasters. So um, my friends who like Royal and they put their, their scores on Facebook, I just scroll past. Yeah, I'm happy for you. You had a good time. Well, Tim, you play Wordle, right? You know, I used to until the New York Times bought it and then I stopped. <laughs> uh-huh. That's legit. I was wondering how many people would make that move. So at one point, what I was doing is the words that I guessed for, I was taking them and I was trying to use those words to write a poem. Cool. Oh, that's interesting. That's a clever thought. Yeah, that was the only reason why I wanted to keep playing, but I, I just it kind of lost its shine after a bit, so I stopped. I got yeah. I got three or four poems out of it though, so I'll consider it a win. Yeah, yeah, the wordle triptych. You know, you can put that in your next book. You can pick three of them and yeah, and yeah. Well, Tam, I think it's time we hear the club. <laughs> yes. Okie dokie. Let's see here. So it's the club, and this was inspired by the 1940 Rhythm Club fire in Natchez, Mississippi. I was built to roar, didn't they know? The smithy that hewed oak timbers built me sturdy, built me to endure the thunder of his shoulders, the rigidity of form, hammer scales tang, and the smelt he cast aside. Wide enough to shoe, tall enough not to smother. I was industrious exhaustion, and I did my job with rock surety, Natch. I was built to weather brimstone, didn't they know? 
The church sanctified me, wrapped me in steel to steal the congregation against the wailing tides of sin that crashed against my doors, crafted windows to dispel hell's building heat from form and function at heretical odds, foreshadowing earthbound perdition. I was built to be a gas, didn't they know? The Spanish moss that dandied my rafters became my flashpoint. My metal sides recrafted furnace fury in three-part harmony and raged with the orchestra who played to beat the firebrand in 4-4 time while the boarded past shackled fate to the dance floor. I was built for history, didn't they know? My oak, my metal, perfected acoustics that had the swing swinging, screaming for the fences, racing to take 746 people with me into the record books, redesigning the songs and the windows and the doorways as I turned to slag and magnetized Mississippi once again. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Stunning. Thank you. And and when you talked about sort of sitting down and and this poem coming out in a rush, you really, you really get that that sense from it. It's it's got a real, uh, it, it it's in a way it feels kind of like a um, uh, a jazz solo. I hear a lot of it's very it's a very musical bebop. It's, yeah, right. Yeah, no, it, uh, the the jazz was definitely a heavy influence on on trying to write this. Um, this piece was an outcome. I attended a, a writing conference virtually in June of 2021, and Patricia Smith was the host of that conference. Nice, and it was it was really great. Um, <laughs> except that um, I. I didn't fully understand what we were going to be doing. And so we were supposed to be finding beauty in uncommon things. And what it kind of turned into was looking at the the morbid and trying to build something from that. And so we were each kind of assigned a natural disaster, not a natural disaster, a disaster of some sort. Um, One other poor woman got the triangle fire factory fire. Wow. Right. Mm-hmm. So I got I got the the rhythm club fire in in Mississippi and I would I just I did some research why was this the catastrophe that it was and the whole thing is is it was built as the smithy's shed originally and they all they did was they just kept layering new things on top of it and by the time it had become a a club it had one door in and out of that building. It had a couple of windows, but the metal that was the outside of the walls melted because of the heat of the fire and it sealed the windows and it ultimately warped the door frame and nobody could get out. And so the band did the only thing that they thought that they could is they kept playing through the fire. That's so poetic. Just like the Titanic. Yes. Yes. The ship went down. Yes. Very analogous with the Titanic. God, that, that's a nightmare. That is just a nightmare. But this fire is responsible in part for why we why buildings today have to have multiple points of entry and exit and why there have to be well-lit signs pointing to entries and exits. You know, so that's that's why it's still with us. That yeah. 
No, I like how you, you, you sort of broke the assignment. Because it's, it's still, there's a lot of beauty in the poem, but I, I like how you just it gave us a more raw truth. It was a terrible beauty. Uh, yeah, it's, it's what was originally meant by the word sublime. Sublime was never meant to mean, oh, that's nice. Sublime was like Niagara Falls, like mountains in Alaska, like takes your breath away, you're awestruck, and you're a little bit frightened or a lot frightened. You're right. So wonderful. Why am I starting to have a pipe dream that the two of you collaborate on a book? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it'd be fun. It would be fun to do a reading together. That would be fun. That would be fun. I think that should be made to happen. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's possible that, that uh, Meet for Tea could sponsor a reading uh, Pushcart Award nominee. It is. It'd be a little tricky to pull. I mean, it, I guess it could be a Zoom reading. Yeah, a Zoom reading. I, yeah, I do mean a Zoom reading. Yeah, because th- there's... There's people all over the place, um, West Coast and down South, and my 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 six are spread far and wide. Well, the, yes, yes, that's that's what I was thinking. A Zoom reading. I mean, I like to do in person stuff, and I'm still doing in person. I'm doing it again, but um, but there a lot of my workshops and readings are. Um, for on Zoom and you know people all over the joint are are welcome and and come. You remember one hundred thousand poets for change, right? Michael Rothenberg's project. Oh I yeah. R.I.P. By the way. Yeah. That was sad. What a great man! I did those events since the very year he thought of it. My twenty twenty one and twenty twenty. 100,000 Poets for Change events were both Zoom events. And yeah, the, the, they were good things. That they, they were still delightful. I love doing the in-person things. The nice thing about you two is it would be possible to coordinate an in-person thing because you're both in Massachusetts. I'm not doing a whole lot of in-person stuff. I haven't even been back to Unbuttoned yet. Um, uh, you need time. Yeah. I you, just, you need to recover more. Too many, too many health issues. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, seriously, I think a um, a Zoom pushcart nominee reading would be would be kind of a no brainer. Uh, yeah. And I'd be happy to promote it, and you know, to help with it in whatever ways you you felt you needed some some um, some support. Ah, I think we need to we need to make that happen. And I, I'm Tam, I, I would love to read with you. I think uh, our work is uh, is complementary. Very much so. That's why I put you guys together. Oh yeah, definitely. This episode because I got that sense from reading your work. Oh, and by the way, Meet for Tea is open for submissions again for the next issue, and I think you'll enjoy the theme. It's dark. <laughs> dark. <laughs> I like that. Do you mean as an absence of light or just dark, uh, difficult, 
or, or painful themes or, or whatever open, you want. Whatever. Okay. Play it any way you like. I like that dark. You can do anything you want to with that. It's, my themes are flexible. I actually hate when people are like, I don't have anything that fits. I'm like, well, use your imagination and deviate and yeah. Very interesting. Okay. Yep. Well, can, can I read you one short poem that just popped into my head? Yes, but I hope it doesn't get cut off. We, we're we going to get cut off in two minutes and 47 seconds. Oh, then maybe maybe I will. Um, I will. Do you want to do it when my husband restarts again? Yeah, let's 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 do it then. So let's just sort of hang out for for a, a, a minute here. Yeah, if we can visit a little bit, but then I do want to hear that poem, and then we'll probably enter into our once we restart again, we'll enter into our final phase of the conversation, which is the only phase where I ask questions, um, like interview type questions. I ask every guest. Three simple questions at the end of every episode. And that's you it. You can do that. Yeah, they're, they're fun. Everything's good. At, so, th- wait, is this a poem that just popped into your head, like, all all written from nowhere? Or is this a poem that you had written that popped into your head that you want to... Well, it's, it's a poem that's in the next book. I'm that, so... Yeah. That, uh, when you said the theme was dark. This, this is the poem that popped into my coconut. You know, the secret about the theme is for meat for tea, right? No. Oh, what is that? I you, do. I do. Because I listen to the podcast. <laughs> tell us. You tell it, Tim. It alternates. It alternates year or, or issue. Year. It's either a meat theme or a tea theme. That's right. There you have it. <laughs> I like that. That's how. That's the silly way I roll. I like that. I like that. So um, we were in a tea year. The last issue was electric, and the the Brits actually refer to tea made with an electric tea kettle as electric tea. And we're entering back into a meat year. And what's everyone's kind of favorite meat at the Thanksgiving table? Dark meat. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) That is funny. It is, right? And there's been such serious writing and lovely writing in approach. The very first issue was Gristle. If you follow them through and you know that, if you go to the website, you will see it all just unfold. That is too funny. It's been my organizational system for almost 17 years. Wow. And we'll be back in just a moment. We have a very generous partner to Meet for Tea. We really appreciate them very much because mm-hmm. it's through ad support that we stay in print. So without further ado, let me tell you about Sucre Bay. Sucre Bay is perfume made by weirdos like you. And they're a cruelty-free, women-owned indie perfume and body products company who love making people smell good. Each scent is crafted by hand in their Washington State lab located in the woods. And honestly, I don't know where else you can find fragrances with names like Sea Hag, Don't Panic, Siren Song, Goth as Fuck, 
Those are just a few of their bestsellers. So great. They have all sorts of other things to bath care products. And also they, they partner with a lot of interesting people, including our friend Sarah McCartney of 4160 Tuesdays. Sucre Bay is one of the few places in the States you can get yourself some 4160 Tuesdays fragrances. Yes. So head on over to sucrebay.com. Check out their wares. And we thank them Check for... Check the show notes for the proper spelling. Mm-hmm. And thank you very, very or much. Or should I do it on Super mic Bay. now? Oh, yeah. You know what? How's it spelled? Yeah. So if you just go to S-U-C-R-E-A-B-E-I-L-L-E.com, that'll get you there. Yeah. We really appreciate their support. Thank you so much, Sucre Bay. Thank you so much, Sucre Bay. We love you. And welcome back. Before I forget, Elizabeth, do you know what what Momo means in Japanese? Wait, can you, I was just getting my earbuds back in. Can you, do you know what Momo means in Japanese? It means peach. Oh. Do you remember you you followed my social media long enough? Do you remember when Ramona was a baby? Yes. <laughs> That little chubby round baby. With, yes. She's not chubby at all now that she's 11, but um, she she did greatly resemble a peach when there she you was go. under a year and a year and two. That that baby fat is so charming, but it, it I mean, and gladly it melts away, but boy, I'm, I'm always sad when the, the chubby thighs and the round cheeks go away. Yep, absolutely. But yet if they continued into adulthood, I'd probably be even sadder. So (laughs) there's that too. So Charles, treat us to that poem. Oh, yes. I'm on the edge of my seat. Yes. For the Africans on slave ships who committed suicide by jumping overboard. You had to plan carefully. Wait for a moment when a deckhand or first mate's attention was elsewhere before climbing quickly onto the railing to dive into the dark waters. Sometimes a few of you joined hands, gazed into each other's eyes a moment before leaping. After suicides, ship's officers would mourn. Each death reduced the journey's profit. Some of you believed you would rise from the sea, find yourselves at home in your villages once again, walking down the hills where you played as children toward the smell of roasting yams and the sound of crowing roosters, loved ones celebrating your return as the morning sun licked salt water from your ebony skin. Mm. Wow. That's powerful and dark. Yes. In a myriad of ways. Yes. Wow. That's thank you so much for that. Sure. Wow. As we all take a moment to recover from the impact of that powerful piece that that hits you and it, it's and it's good. It should. Yeah, it, it's not. Um, it's not meant to be 
playful or no there's, there's no element of humor you know like some a lot of my work i think there's humor in it there's there's no room for humor in that no. scenario though no, it would be no. inappropriate exactly it needs to be grave yeah did i interrupt you tam i'm sorry oh no 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 no, while we were we were logging back in, I had thought of a poem, but I don't even think I want to follow it up after that. <laughs> I don't. That that just kind of needs to sit. Well, you know, that that's that's an I hear that's an interesting thought, but sometimes I, I remember one time I was uh, well, I often MC different events, lots of poetry reading and. Sometimes somebody will come out and they'll read a very powerful poem and, and somebody else who's on the program will say, wow, I, I, I can't follow that. And I say, well, nobody follows anybody. That person created the space they created. And now it's your job to go out there and, and, and do the same. So, but I, I know what you mean. And, and, and I appreciate the, what, what you're saying is that you think it's a powerful poem. Uh, and thank you, but uh, you know it's uh, every space is different. I love that. No, that's very true. It sounds like you're going to have to read your piece. It's also reminded me of something that um, Frank Zappa said when asked about how he approached his guitar solos, and he's such a musical genius. But he said that there's a set period of time, you know, thirty seconds, two minutes. And he decides how he's going to decorate the time. Oh, wow. Isn't that so fabulous? Yes. Decorate, yeah. So Charles decorated the time that way. And you'll decorate the time the way you decorate it. Well, all right. Fine. If you put it that way. <laughs> um, we're thinking about the dark theme. Um, this is the one I pulled up. It's called Hostile Takeover. I'm just trying to cheer all my listeners up before we go, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, uh, Hostile Takeover. The mice have abandoned the attic, preferring womb warmth to asbestos drafts. They nestle inside me and their heartbeats feel like zydeco on my spine, forcing my nerves into contorted contrition, jangling teeth and tongue, stifling fingers, enraging toes, because this womb is a desert scape that delights only in scorpion stings and bitter cactus root, never meant to bear such tiny resilience. Oblique to purpose, I fear their plague and my lack of spiders to sustain them, wondering how long before we both die writhing in pain, neglecting to capture the spectacle of now, only to realize later, with regret, the flowered appreciation that came on such skittering little feet. <laughs> yes. Oh, wow. Point, <laughs> counterpoint. I, yeah. I liked that one-two punch of those two poems. Yeah. Wow. So we really do need to do a reading, I think. I, mean, I think so. This is a match made in heaven, poetically. <laughs> yeah, I think you need. To, I think we need to to say, okay, I I want to read this one, and then you send me a poem. Say, okay, well, I want to read this one, and we'll go back and forth, and we'll build a set list. Yes, and you know, sometimes I like to uh, with not all the time, but sometimes I like to do a thing with if I'm reading with someone else. They will. I will read a poem of theirs, and they will read a poem of mine. I love that. Ooh, yes. 
And that, that's fun. Yeah. Creating voices. Absolutely. I mean, it's really interesting to hear your stuff read by somebody else. Very much so. I went to a, a writer's workshop at, at Yale, and um, you had to bring poems that you wanted to present to the group. And the first thing is, is that somebody in the group would read your poem, and then you would read your poem so you could hear the difference. Nice. And that, to me, was the most invaluable portion of that weekend. Mm, right. Right. When I teach um, kids, like grade school kids, I will have them give me their poems and I'll read their poems until they get to hear their poems read by, you know, a grown-up professional poet, blah, blah, blah. And it's a, it's a completely different experience for them. Um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a valuable experience. Oh, totally. It, it, it just legitimizes their writing in such a, such a powerful way. Yeah. Yep. One time I was with a bunch of sixth graders doing a, a summer camp. Um, and there was this one, you know how it is when you've got people who say, oh, I want to study with you. And you've got a room full of people. That's one vibe. But when you're just in front of a class uh, where some of the kids, didn't, nobody chose to be there. It's a different dynamic. So there was this one uh, girl, and she was kind of like, yeah, right, whatever. But that was cool. Uh, And I said, all right, now let's write a poem about something we like. And uh, they turned in their poems, and and I read them. And her poem was My Fish. And it went, I like my fish. I'm not an only child. And when I talk to my fish, my fish doesn't interrupt. Oh my God, that's brilliant. Yeah. That's, wow, that's masterful. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I'm struck dumb at how good it is. Yeah, and everybody laughed. The kids laughed, the other teachers laughed, the the, uh, the board. It's so good. And and when when everybody laughed for a moment, she was uh, like, whoa. And then she realized pretty much immediately that they were laughing in pleasure Mm -hmm. and appreciation and uh, I, I never saw her again after that day, but she had that moment. I don't know if she ever wrote another poem, but she she had that moment. She's probably a writer for SNL. <laughs> <laughs> now, wouldn't that be a hoot? Right. So these things go so fast. Like I said, it seems like restarting for 40 minutes three times. What? Are you crazy? But No, but we're, we're, we're cranking. Here we are. So I, th- I think I am going to move us on to our questions because they, they can lead people to meander and talk a little bit. And you'll, you'll see how it goes. So I pose to each of you, what are you reading right now? What's on your nightside stand or wherever your current read might be located? The, the, Tam, do you multitask with books? Like, do you have more than one going at the same time? Generally, yes. Me too. <laughs> Well, Tam, what are yours? I'm curious. Well, I just finished um, a a book, uh, Some Things I Still Can't Tell You, which is a collection of poems by Misha Collins. Mm. He was was one of the actors on uh, Supernatural, um, and I was just kind of shocked that any of them would have had a predilection for writing. And so I picked it up and finished that one. And, uh, but simultaneously, I'm also reading uh, Rita Dove's uh, playlist for the apocalypse. Mm. Cool. 
Cool. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Misha Collins, isn't he the guy who has that uh, show, Road Food? Uh, I don't. I don't honestly know. We're all going to look that up because I don't know either. I th- he's done some acting, I know, and there's this television show on public television called Road Food where he travels. Yes, that is him. Yep. That's that's him. I'm looking at it right now. Oh, I want to see that. We don't have PBS. We don't have cable. We just we just do Netflix and HBO and Hulu and Amazon Prime. We don't pay for cable. No, good for you. Because that's how we roll. But maybe yep. maybe I can find road food streaming elsewhere. Uh, yeah, no, he's a he's a, a Western Massachusetts native, actually. The he, name sounds okay. familiar. Was was he a? He he went to school up in Greenfield. Okay. Um, and I think that's where he graduated from high school from. Uh, so yeah, like anyway, it was it was an interesting read, you know. Um. It's when you see him on his social media, he's very focused on his family and, and, you know, his kids and whatnot. And, um, these, it's a collection of poems and there are things that he can't say to his kids yet. And there are things that he can't say to his wife and, um, the, the acknowledgements at the end of the book, he acknowledges that he and his wife have split up and they've been together for over 30 years because they were high school sweethearts. And it was like... At that point, it just kind of all came crushing back. Like, there are still some things I can't tell you. Wow. I feel like this was discussed on a podcast I listened to. I don't know if it was, if he was interviewed on Fresh Air, but I seem to remember hearing something about this. How rich. Another one to add to my library. As I look at the shelves and shelves and piles and piles of books, like I could... (laughs) Build my house out of books, basically, as I'm sure we could all. So, Charles, what are you reading? I'll tell you, but first I'll say that that we should make peace with the fact that we have more books in our homes than we can ever, that we'll ever live to read. It's a happy thing. It's a happy thing. I I think that we, some people see it as a dilemma, but we should not see it as a dilemma. The Japanese have a word for it, actually. Yeah, and I was I I, I saw that, and I, I of course I can't remember the word, but but I love the fact that they have a word for that. They have a word for everything. They have a we word do. for everything. Them and the Germans, they have a words for everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like in in German, step vite, step wisdom is the smart thing that you think to say to somebody after the argument is over. I love it. I love that. You're, you're, so you're, much. Walking, you're, you're, you're on the steps and you're like, God damn it, I should that ah. So I, I love that. I love that word. So yeah, German has some some great it's it's the it, it's an amazing language for expressing emotional states. <laughs> Jawohl. Ich spreche Deutsch. Do you speak you do? Yeah, as far as Nebenfach und Universität. Wow. You know Aber Ich verloren. Um, yeah, there is actually a issue of meat for tea, the um, the the Kummerspeck issue, which obviously came out. <laughs> yes, you had an issue called Kummerspeck. Hell yeah, I did. Uh, you That's know, amazing. The, there was a restaurant in Worcester for a while called uh, Kummerspeck. Yes. That's you know grief bacon. It's it's yes. when you overeat because you're sad. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Oh, that's too much. I had to. That's so the, the word, the Japanese word, and my, my German pronunciation is a thousand times better than my Japanese, but I think Japanese is largely phonetic, is um, sundoku, the art of buying books and never reading them. <laughs> I love it. I love sundoku. It's, it's a lifestyle. It. It's what, This is a Sendoku club. I'm all over it. I am all over that. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's too funny. That is too funny. It's, it's good. Perfect. It's perfect. So my books, my books, my books, my books. Um, I'm, I'm, I very seldom read, I very seldom see a movie and then read the book that uh, the movie was based on. Mm-hmm. But I saw a fantastic movie. Uh, I was sitting around with a few friends, and we watched it on the on the tube called Brick Lane, Ooh. which is uh, about it's an English movie about this woman who is a as a teenager is sent from Pakistan to Brick Lane, where the um, the uh, poor and working class. Pakistanis and Indians were sort of, you know, that's where they that's where they were supposed to live. She was sent to be the bride of a middle-aged businessman. And it is a beautiful movie, just mind-boggling. Wow. And it was based on a book by this woman named Monica Ali, Brick Lane, that I think won the Whitbread Award over there or something. Nice. Um, wow. I'm, uh, I'm halfway through that, and it is... It's rare that, that a movie and a book are are just as good. That is very unusual. Yes, absolutely. And and I read a lot of popular fiction. I know in some circles you're not supposed to cop to that, but uh, so what? Uh, right now I'm <laughs> halfway through a book called December 1941, written by a friend of mine, William Martin, nice. uh, the guy who wrote Back Bay uh, in Cape Cod. Uh, cool. Really, and it's about uh, what happened in the aftermath of uh, Pearl Harbor, how um, America was trying to marshal itself, and how the various elements of Japanese and German intelligence were trying to undermine the U.S. government in various ways. Well, it sounds good. Wow, it sounds great. I mean, you hear the phrase page turner. What's really a page turner? So the, those are a couple of the books I've been working on lately. Fantastic. Now, look, can I, can I ask y'all one, one quick question? Of course. Um, do you ever reread books? All the time. Yes. Always. That That's that's why my library grows, but doesn't ever shrink by much. <laughs> right. Because I, I there's things I, I, I'm going to need to revisit, and there's things I do revisit kind of regularly i like to reread books not to find out what happened but because i want to re i want to revisit that world i want to re-enter the created world of that particular writer yeah right and i also like to immerse myself in um just really elegant prose stylings and just words put together i mean it's it's only words it's only English, but there's some people that can just do things with language that's just magical. So I like to immerse myself in that too, over and over again. I have a tendency to read the same way that I write, which is in these big gulps, 
right? Like I just inhale things. And so if I, if I really am drawn to something, then I put it down and I walk away from it for a few months and then I go back and then I read it and I take my time with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Savor it the second, the second time is to savor it. If I'm reading it a third time, that is a pure labor of love. Right. Yeah, I think I got trained to read that way too in grad school where, you know, you've got your deadline. Yeah. You've got to you got to finish the books and you got to you got to get through them fairly rapidly and then later I'd have those like uh, oh, Hardy's Jude the Obscure was one I went back to when it wasn't <laughs> It's a powerful god, uh, Father Time, yeah. the the most tragic child character maybe ever written because we were too many. Wow. That is an intense book. Uh, I, yeah. I, I, but it's beautiful. It is. So, yeah. I love Hardy actually. And I like that one. I, I mean, Tess, whatever. So what are you guys listening to these days? What's on your turntable? If you have such an antiquated device. We do. We do. We we have we've got we got vinyl. Like I used two. to sell turntables. Sweet. Yep. I was the only person in the store that knew anything about them. So and I was the only one who I think who had owned vinyl. So yeah, I, I sold everything from the seventy dollar <laughs> throwaway turntable to the cool. really nice cool. high end. Like the DJ quality, like yep. Apollos or whatever, which we yep. have. Absolutely. Sweet. I like, I like vinyl. I, I like our, I like that in the room right behind me, there's roughly 2000 albums. And then in the room cool. beyond that, cool. there's a whole bunch of seven inch singles. Nice. It's, yeah, it's pretty sweet. So Tam, what are you listening to on your, on your gear? Well, you know, I, um, with the tumultuous nature of the American political landscape, uh, I am I am a news junkie on a good day. And, fair, fair. Um, I have like I have been nonstop NPR, but I finally decided to take a break, and I was digging through my CD collection, and I rediscovered the CD, and I'm in love with him all over again. His name is Jamie Cullum, and he mm -hmm. is this adorable young British gentleman, and he does a mix of, of original work in these jazz standards. Nice. And I have to tell you, I, I did theater, I did musical theater, and I have heard Anything Goes... Um, the song, oh no, I'm sorry. I get a kick out of you from Anything Goes. Oh, maybe, sweet. Maybe a hundred different times. And he hands down has my most favorite version of that song I have ever heard. Oh, now that's a recommendation. So Jamie Cullum is in the car when I'm, when I'm driving around and I can't take NPR anymore. No, and I get your, I, I listened to, well, when I, when I wasn't crossing the picket line, I didn't, but every day, usually it's, NPR's up first, followed by New York Times The Daily, followed by Vox, not Fox, Vox Media's Today Explained. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Followed by The Daily Zeitgeist, because I like when comedians hand me my news. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Helps a little bit. So, Charles, yeah. what 
are you putting into your ears? I listen very little to news on the radio. Uh, I I listen to music. I read my news, but I I when I'm listening to the radio or or whatever, I, I want music and I and I want music when I'm writing. And I'm a music omnivore. Nice. In the last last few days, uh, I've listened to 70s funk compilations, Miles mm-hmm. Davis, Bonnie yeah. Raitt, uh, Ella Fitzgerald, you know, Aretha's greatest hits, Bach cello solos, uh, oud music. Um, nice. Uh, I was listening just this afternoon. I was listening to Nocturnes by this uh, this composer named John Field, who is this 19th century English composer who was in the generation before Chopin and Schumann. And if you hear him, you say, oh, that sounds like Chopin. Well, actually, Chopin sounds like Field. Cool. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm all over the place. Um, you know, 60s pop. Uh, listen to the um, to the to the um, Woodstock soundtrack. Oh, not soundtrack. The Wood uh, Woodstock recording recently. So, like I say, I'm I'm all over the place and, and music constantly, constantly. Now, I listen when I'm writing. When I'm writing, I can't listen to anything frenetic or um, uh, this too sappy. You know, no California hot tub music. <laughs> I love that. So, so no Fleetwood Mac, in other words. Oh, no, nothing. No, I don't know. Fleetwood no. Mac is in California hot tub music. I mean, like uh, New Age, certain kinds of New Age music. Oh, God. No. Yeah. Never. That doesn't even make its way into my collection. I love some Fleetwood Mac. I'm very sorry about Christine McVie. That was I'm sad about her. Yes. I, th- I think my um, misspent youth in Southern California. I got oversaturated in Fleetwood Mac. I might have reached a, a point of burnout. You know what's really funny is that I can't listen to The Doors unless I'm back in California. I'm back in California. You can put on every Doors album back to back, and I won't even think. And you're fine with it. it. You put it on out here, and I'm like, turn that off. I I don't want to hear that. Not I find here. it very boring. Jim Morrison was such a douche too. He was. He was. <laughs> he was such a. But you know, the, there's a there's a whole selection of people. Like there, it's the Doors and it's the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's oh my god, same. Like I can't. Like I grew up with the Chili Peppers coming up in Los Angeles, and I was in Los Angeles, so like they were very they're very baked into my you know growing up. And I think that maybe the doors are too. Like I just I can't quite put my finger on it. But there's a there are a couple of bands. If I'm not back home in California, I will not listen to them. That is very interesting. What so a a, um, a therapist or 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 some philosopher would have a very interesting conversation with you about why that is so. But it, it's it's very interesting. It is. You know, you were talking about uh, the 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 theme of the next issue being dark, and Tam, you're talking about the doors. If there were an audio version of the magazine, the doors, the end would be the the centerpiece. <laughs> Mother. <laughs> Man, that is just. Uh, I was driving back from some damn place or other a couple of months ago, and I and I was listening to that. 
Uh, I had a, a, a Doris compilation CD, and I was listening to that, and Riders on the Storm, which is just an amazing piece of music, talking about dark. So, Yeah, well, Ray Manzarek, his, his work on the keys, he, uh, to me, he was the man who made that band. Yeah, I agree. Everyone talks about Jim, but we should talk about Ray some more. No, Ray was Ray was fantastic. He was yeah. the musical spine of that whole project. Yeah, I'll yeah. just stand on that. No, you won't get no argument from me. <laughs> no argument with... here. Nope. <laughs> so, what do you guys watch? Like my descending order from higher to lower brow. Not that I judge. <laughs> Sam, you go for it. What oh are you watching? God. Um, so this year has been really hard. And as a consequence, I am hiding in, in all of my old favorites, but right now I am in HBO max and I'm, I'm rewatching all of the, the most current doctor who fun. Cool. Who is playing the current doctor who I don't even know. I, I'm I'm out of. Oh, there is um, there's a new gentleman. So they they just had Jodie Whittaker, and she's just left. And I forget the name of the gentleman. Oh yeah, I love her too. Okay. Who? Uh, let's find out. What is his name? Uh, Nook Nook. Oh, it's N C U T I Gatwa. Um, he was in uh, Netflix's Sex Education, but anyway, he's this this gorgeous, good-looking young black gentleman. And oh, it's, I know it's who you're pretty, talking about. He's hot. Yeah, and it's it's a big it's a, <laughs> Doctor Who is like smashing all the barriers. Like they, they everybody got all all the fanboys got pissed off when Jodie Whittaker took over, and so now they're taking it a step further, and they've made it a black man, and you know. I think it's absolutely beautiful, but I love that. I need to catch up with that franchise. Um, yeah, it's all on. It's all on HBO Max, and um, I'm just I'm binging bad. Sweet, I'm excited for that. Charles, what are you watching? I'm, I'm pretty boring. Um, when I was working for full time, I got in the habit of not watching much television because when I got home from work, it was either watch show X or get some writing done. Um, Fair. So that that habit is kind of stuck. So as a result, I, I, I've never really watched much of the the episodic stuff. Or I've never seen an episode of um, uh, Game of Thrones, or I never saw The Sopranos, or uh, and and I know that the the quality of that stuff is incredible. But uh, I, I'm just in the habit of not watching it. When I'm when I'm done writing, um, like I say, I watch some sports. Uh, I watch. I, I like to travel shows on public television. There's some really wonderful stuff. Oh yeah, being done the travel shows, and um, I used to I I like to cook. I used to be a professional cook, and so I, I like watching some some of the food shows, uh, especially the ones where the the hosts not don't just talk about recipes, but they really really talk about culture. Right. Uh, yes. So I, I love that stuff. Netflix so, has had some good ones, like Chef's Table is beautiful. Yeah, I've heard, yep. I've heard that's good stuff. It's beautiful. And when I'm really, um, when I'm really like um, uh, burn out at the end of the evening, I like to turn on an old episode of uh, of Law and Order <laughs> <laughs> or um, the Closer. I love the Closer. Never seen you ever, it. 
You ever watch The Closer with Never. Uh, um what's her name? Um She's married, she's married to Kevin Bacon, Kira Sedgwick. Yeah, Kara Sedgwick, yes. She's fabulous on that show. Um, so that's 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 kind of what I watch on television. I don't watch a ton of television. I, th- I think that's great. I mean, well, no, I, you know, I don't say, oh, I don't watch much television. I don't want to sound like a snob because, like I say, I watch sports. sports is the emperor of time wasters, as some people say. <laughs> so... Uh, um, it, it, that's just my TV habit. I don't. I don't watch a lot of it. So, um, although I know there's a lot of really great stuff on it, I think we should just do what makes us feel happy, though. I agree. So, before we run out of time, which is really upon us, this goes alarmingly fast, doesn't it? It does. It does. It's shocking. Where can people find you and follow you on their social media? Plug yourselves. And where can they buy your stuff? I've got two books on Amazon, Exit Means Eden and Our Requiem. And uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I don't do much with Twitter, but I'm there. Mm. Um, I'm there in protest with Elon Musk wrecking everything left and right. But same. I blocked him the minute he he bought it. (laughs) Good for you. As one does. Good for you. (laughs) Well, I'm very active on Facebook. Um... And I've got a whole, I've got a whole bunch of folks who, who are I'm, I'm hooked up with there. Um, so that's where you'll find me on Facebook. I, I've never done Twitter, and certainly I'm not going to do it now. Um, and my, I have four books that are available. Uh, you can buy them on uh, from that company that starts with A. But I, I prefer um, if you buy my books to go to to bookshop.org. I love and them. I think it's a much better deal for the, the independent bookstores. Um, and when you look at independent bookstores, I think it's important to support what supports you. And independent bookstores do that for for writers and and have done that. And and um, I hope they'll be able to do that. So yeah, that's where you get my stuff. My uh, I've got three books of poetry and, and one novella. And then in March, you'll be able to get um, Purgatory Road, my my fourth book of poetry. How exciting is that? And March that that that's yeah, March is going to be huge. The dark issue of Meat for Tea will come out. Purgatory Road will come out. I'm excited for March and all the darkness. And all the darkness that will come out. <laughs> Look out, James Earl Jones. <laughs> Luke, I am your father. <laughs> this has been so much fun, guys. We literally have four minutes and 13, 12, counting down seconds. So I'm going to say goodnight. Thank you for being so generous with your time. Obviously, the three of us could talk for much longer periods of time, given the luxury. But thanks so much. This has been an absolute blast. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Yes, thank you. And uh, Tam, um, to be continued. Absolutely, Charles. Absolutely. Yay. Yay. New friends. I love that. Community. All right. Good night, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was wonderful, wasn't it? Did you guys have fun listening to that? Were your ears so happy? I very much had happy ears. Your ears and your brains and everything. That went all over the place in such a cool way. 
And one thing we forgot to mention when we were doing our housekeeping is we're encouraging a lot of people that consider making Good Pods your primary listening platform. Good Pods is unique among other podcast platforms in that they have a special search category for indie podcasts. So you can filter just for that and listen to indies mm-hmm. like us. And and they're really good about drawing attention to indies. We're hanging on to our spot. I think we're now 61 in the top 100 indie arts yeah. podcasts. Yeah. So we're in the top 100 for sure still, which is fantastic. Thank we you. We're higher than I remembered when I checked earlier. That's and okay. It'll move around. I said we were higher than I yeah, remembered. I said that's okay. It'll move around. It's not okay if it moves lower. And you guys can make <laughs> sure it doesn't by listening and rating. And like Goodreads, Good Pods has a place for you to, if you listen to an episode, you can share it onto your social media. Share it. Share it as a tweet if you're still on that platform. I, I am, but I have Post and Mastodon accounts waiting for me to figure them out. Share it to your Facebook followers. Share it on your Instagram. Leave us a five-star review. With writing. And then copy and paste that into the Apple uh, podcast app. So we have this this most recent comment is in response to a bonus episode. Um, Typically when we're a guest on someone else's podcast, we like to feature a generous clip and um, make a bonus episode out of it. To promote our fellow indie podcasters. Exactly. And this is when I was on the wonderful Learn German Through Music podcast. So this is the season four, episode 12 bonus. And Jerome Berglund says, fine and interesting episode. Highly worth listening to. Great stuff with two exclamation points. So emphatically great stuff. Two. This bonus episode has an opening song that should delight you by Tom Kovar. Which, if you've listened this far, you heard it at the beginning of this episode as well, probably. Now you know who it's by. Yes. I think I actually listed that in the show notes last time, too, so I'll probably do that in this one. But anyhow, this is great. Have a great holiday, everybody. Uh, We will probably be back... After Christmas. Yeah, just after Christmas. That's why we're releasing this one this week, so we can skip Christmas. That will be probably the second episode, if all goes well, of the Pushcart nominees conversations. Yes. So it's going to be worth sticking around for it. Thanks a lot, everybody. Have a happy holiday. See you in a couple weeks. The Meat for Tea cast is produced by Elizabeth McDuffie and Meat for Tea, The Valley Review. Mixed by Mark Allen Miller at Sewn Lab, East Hampton, Massachusetts. Visit Meat for Tea at www.meatfortea.com. Please consider going to anchor.fm to make a contribution through our contribution page. You can reach us through meatforteacast at gmail.com, or you can leave a voice message at anchor.fm forward slash meatforteacast. We welcome suggestions for contents for the Meat for Tea cast. If you've attended a Meat for Tea Cirque and want to hear from one of the bands or one of the spoken word contributors, please let us know. All portions are copyright Meat for Tea and their respective holders. Vote for Meat for Tea on your favorite podcast app. Follow us on Twitter at Elizabeth 
Meet for Tea on Instagram and on the Meet for Tea and Meet for Tea Cast Facebook pages. Meet for Tea is available everywhere you get your favorite podcasts. <laughs>